Thanks for listening while we take that short break here at RevolutionRadioFreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. Welcome back. This is the second hour of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett. Just off a full hour-long interview with Dennis Kucinich, one of the few decent presidential candidates of our time. More than decent. He's, he's, he's a great guy. All right. So if you want to subscribe to these shows, please do go to truthjihad.com. Click on the Patreon link. And for four bucks a month, you get early access, free downloads, and the ineffable satisfaction of supporting a uh, hard-hitting, truth-seeking podcast. All right. So let's get going. Second hour here. Stephen Bennett is the portrait painter. That's the name of his website, too. He's also a trained hypnotist, and he says the media is hypnotizing us every day. And maybe hypnosis is more than the materialists tell us. Maybe it touches on the other world, the alam al-akhar, or the alam al-ghaib, as we say in Islam, the hidden world. There is a reality much deeper that goes beyond what we see at the surface level of space, time, and matter. And psychics actually know this, and that's why some of them can earn their living by using precognition to obtain future winning lottery numbers. Well, maybe. Well, let's talk about that. Hey, welcome, Stephen Bennett. How are you? Hi, great, Kevin. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, you're coming through uh, loud and clear. Your sound is actually better than Dennis Kucinich's was. He was just on his cell phone. Okay. Well, great. Happy to be here, Kevin. Very excited. Yeah, yeah. Good to have you. So, Man, so where, where do we start? Uh, maybe media hypnotism? So tell us about how you learned hypnotism. Uh, it's, it's a long story. It, it started with a veteran who um, had gone in World War II, 3rd Armored Division, General Patton. And I met his son in the uh, Gold District in New York. And these guys were very strange guys. I was a New York artist. And they hung around the jewelry district. They hung around down there. They had a lot of money, and I couldn't figure out what, what they were up to. But they were interested in me because I was a painter and an artist. And they started to kind of ask me about uh, different things that I believed about psychic things. And I knew nothing. I was raised a born-again Christian in upstate New York. <laughs> knew knew nothing about these things. And then they would bring me around, and we would hang around in the basement of a lot of the buildings in the uh, jewelry district and Canal Street in New York. And I didn't know it, but I was hanging around with bookies. Bookies who booked numbers for the illegal mafia lottery in New York. In New York, there's two lotteries. There's the official state lottery, and then there's the second lottery, which is run by the mafia. And the winning number for the underground mafia lottery, which is huge, I don't know the amount of money that it brings in, but it's massive. It, if you grab the New York Times in the morning, on the front page, on the bottom, is the total earnings of the stock market. And that, that is the winning number of the mafia lottery. So, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an interesting world. And um, I, I was a painter in Brooklyn you know, kind of trying to figure out the art world in New York. And I was using, I believed, you know, I, I knew from Christianity and, and the words of Christ. And I have the quote here, which is so beautiful. Um, I'll have to read it to you. I, I just found it. And uh, it's, it's incredible how impressive. You know, I was raised a born-again Christian. You know, I knew there was something magical about Christianity, but, I, you know, and, and my father was a pastor, but I, I didn't know what he what he meant. You know, he was... He was attracted to Christianity because 
he was someone who was ethical and wanted to help others. Um, but I knew there was something magical about it. And here's the quote. It's Matthew 21, 22. It says, And all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. What does that mean? I mean, that's a, that's a type of, uh, <laughs> it's a prayer. It's a super prayer. You know, it's, he's trying to teach you how to pray, right? It's like, it's like a meta prayer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, and, and these guys that I met, um, they, you're not going to believe it, but they were Irish made mafia guys. And, and this whole thing that they got involved in all came because their fathers all fought in World War II. General Patton was a, he was a psychic. You know, he, he, when he went over the hills in France and Germany, he said, I was here before. I, uh, this, this is just another lifetime for me battling it out here. He believed he was a Roman general, you know. And so that idea, and then they became kind of uh, these young boys who were recruited as tank commanders and gunners. They kind of felt like they were on some sort of spiritual journey, I believe, from the way they talked about it. They were old men when I met them. They were, you know, old Irish men. And they were obsessed with the war because it was the most exciting thing that had ever happened to them. You know, they had, <laughs> they had blasted their way through Germany to Berlin, you know, with General Patton. But uh, on the way, you know, they looted, you know, uh, you know, that's and, and the stories they told me were amazing. So they were guys that that kind of believed that there must be, you know, they didn't have money. They were poor guys who worked in the, you know, the poor neighborhoods of Brooklyn. And they, they, they were trying to figure out how to make how to get ahead in life, you know. And they, you know, they were looking for ways to kind of cheat the system because they had kind of come from this this looting belief. Well, anyway, their fathers were, fought with General Patton, and then their sons uh, were the were the not the next generation. They went to Vietnam, and they had been taught by their father the secrets of looting, you know. And they were they were looting over there. But the guy that became my best friend was his name was Terry Kirby. And he knew that it was wrong to steal, but he knew that there was some sort of magic in the Bible. And then General Patton had known something. There was a spiritual world. It was real. So while his brothers are over looting in, um, <laughs> in Vietnam, he started to study everything he could about religion, about, about psychic powers, about every possible spiritual metaphysical thing he could find. And then uh, after studying for 30 years, I had become, he studied for 30 years, I met him in a dream class in New York. I knew that something strange was happening in my dreams because I was making art. And you know, you make a painting and it, and it makes this deep impression on you and you go to sleep. And you have a dream about the painting and about your friends and then you wake up and you have a little insight about it and, and you move ahead and you can make progress in the painting. So I started to really work on dream journaling this is in the 90s, 1990s in New York City. And uh, I, I kind of hit a dead end where I didn't know what I was doing, you know. And I went to a dream class. Have you ever heard of the Seth books, Kevin, the Seth books? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've actually read some of the Seth books. When I was in college, I knew a couple of people who were really into that. So to humor yeah. them, I, I read some of that and found it yeah. interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, they they're kind of hard to understand. You, you kind of need someone who yeah. For, for the listeners, let's just tell the listeners what they are. That Seth is this yeah, in, extra dimensional entity, and I think it was Jane Roberts or something is the author, and she's Next. like channeling this uh, this extra dimensional spirit who's telling her basically about the life life universe and everything. You know, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, and uh, you know, and and if you if you were to hear this for the first time, you would think it's some hocus pocus fake channel. But if you look at the history of Jane Roberts and Robert Butts, who was her husband, who dictated, they really had figured out uh, everything that quantum physics, you know, uh, had explained later, you know, and highly in, and they're the ones that influenced Deepak Chopra. Jim Henson attended her classes. Um, uh, what's his name? The guy that wrote Jonathan Livingston Siegel, R Richard Bach attended their classes. So. Yeah, something was happening there. I, and, I, and I was worried in the beginning that it was some sort of CIA thing where they were projecting into her mind, you know, some strange things, but, you know, through some technology. But come to find out, I, I believe Seth was, you know, I don't know who Seth was, but um, anyway, I went to a dream class. And this dream class was run by one of the members of Jane Roberts' early classes. His name was Rick Stack. And this guy was an astral traveler, and he taught astral travel and lucid dreaming. And I had dabbled in astral travel and lucid dreaming a little bit. Had little. Have you ever had a lucid dream, Kevin? Have you ever? You must uh, have. Oh, yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. And and uh, <laughs> had a, a few astral experiences too. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. See, this is where I, I have that problem when I talk to people. Like, actually, I guess I can <laughs> probably say this without violating a confidence. I had a recent exchange with Ron Unz about this. You know, uh, he he's pretty adamant about being skeptical about any conspiracy theories that he hasn't yet investigated and discovered are true. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and so he was giving me a hard time about one of them. And so uh -huh. you know, I said, well, okay, so are you familiar with the scientific work on psi uh, or, you know, psychic abilities? And, yeah. Uh, he said, oh, well, no. And I, you know, he's, I'm very skeptical about that. But yeah, because you haven't yeah, well. <laughs> looked at it. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, well. Yeah. But, you know, those of us who've actually experienced it, uh, on a fairly regular basis, uh, you know, it's it's hard to talk to people who seemingly just reject it because scientific orthodoxy hasn't caught up to it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, of course, difficult to prove because it's uh, not something that. <laughs> well, it <laughs> isn't. Is it? It isn't though. It's, it's well, actually, it isn't. No, it's, 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 it's been proven it's, really well yeah, in really yeah. well controlled experiments. It's, there's nothing that's more scientifically known than uh, the, the reality of these psychic abilities, because the reason that it's actually the most firm and verified scientific knowledge that exists is because they had to repeat the experiment so many times. Most yeah. science doesn't, they never bother to repeat their experiments, yeah. but with the psi experiments, they've been repeated and refined to the nth degree. Uh, yeah. So we, we actually know that psi powers exist with more scientific basis than we have for believing that gravity exists. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely believe that too because I, you know I've looked at it, I experienced it, and and I, I proved it to myself, and and that's the story I want to tell you. So I, I had I sat in this dream class, and it was it was a class every week, uh, and you had to record your dreams, and then um, uh, Richard would would help us interpret them based on the Seth um, the Seth uh, process of interpreting the dreams. Uh, Seth said um, that you have your own inner language um, and symbols that you've created through your experience in life, and your dreams are an exploration 
into the future world, he said, um, where you test out certain probable outcomes. Uh, and if, if you like them, you'll go into them and experience them in this reality. He called, he called our reality framework one, our waking reality, and he called the dream world or the astral world framework, framework two. And it was kind of a cool scientific way to simplify it because I'd looked into many spiritual things and, you know, Hinduism and Buddhism and Tibetan Buddhism and many things and Islam, of course, but I could never get to the meat of it for what I was looking for. I was looking for a simple explanation of how things work, you know, what's going on here. So in this class, I started to have incredible dreams and then I started to paint the dreams and then the dreams started to get more intense and they started to get lucid. And then the whole world became very strange for me. I don't know if you've ever done dream journaling, but it, the, the more oh, yeah. you do it, yeah. the more you do it, the more uh, the more you start to predict things that happen. You start to have more coincidences. Your deja vu experiences multiply. You're you're tuning in somehow, and I was starting to tune in, and it was getting very exciting, and I. One of the last nights of the class, I sat next to a man and I looked at his dream journal. He's at the school desk next to me and it's completely plastered with lottery tickets. And he's an older guy and he's a joker. He's a comedian and he's Terry Kirby. He's the son of, the, of Morris Kirby who fought for General Patton. And uh, I looked over at him and I said, uh, hi, that's a very interesting journal. What is going on in there? And he said, well, I can't talk about it here. I didn't know what that meant, but that's very important. But he said, if you want to have a burger later, let's go have a burger at the diner across the street. And I said, okay, let's go. I spent the entire night until, until dusk speaking to this man, Terry Kirby. He sadly died last year. And after that, for some strange reason, this man, Terry Kirby, spent the next 10 years driving to my house and guiding me to become <laughs> uh, successful, more psychic, change my beliefs in the direction of my dreams and goals, dedicated to me in some strange way, like uh, an angel dropped out of heaven or something. You know, I was a struggling artist in New York who had a lot of beliefs that come from our culture about how being an artist is difficult, how you'll never earn money, you know, blah, 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 the whole thing. And he's, he, tur he turned and looked at me and he said, no, no, you can do anything you want with this. This is just something, uh, you've got to let go of these beliefs. These are just cultural ideas. They don't apply to you. You're, cre you're creating your own experience. You're not a victim, blah, blah, blah. And um, he spent 10 years with me. And I painted and he sat behind me and he read the Seth books. He read Aurobindo. He read um, Thomas Troward. He read Tibetan Buddhism to me. He read the Bible. And it was a shocking experience because he was a criminal. He, he and his brothers had stolen millions of dollars in New York, um, putting together very complex cons. And, uh, and he, his brothers were both dead, and he had survived this you know, kind of trauma. And he knew that he'd made a mistake, but he... He wanted maybe to do something to, to have redemption or something. I don't know. But we became the best friends. We were inseparable for 10 years. We traveled all over the place together. And um, basically, he was trying to pound into my head. You made a big mistake believing that being an artist is difficult. You can't be successful. Uh, you know, you're going to have to struggle. He said, no, no, no. You've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to go the opposite direction. And if you just listen to me, 
we'll slowly fig figure this thing out for you. And it, it's amazing how it ended. I, I had incredible success. And I, I went from, you know, being in a, a broken down loft in New York to working for the president of Panama as, as a private painter for him within that 10 year period. And uh, so that's, that's basically the story. But the lottery is in there too, but I, I could I could keep going if you want to say something. Well, okay. So, what was in the dream journal that you first? Okay, noticed? boy. Te um, okay, Kevin. Yeah, th this is so interesting. It, it was so unreal to me in the beginning that um, it was, of course, like a dream. In his dream journal um, were symbols. If he just looked at it and he didn't know what it meant, it was all coded because he didn't want anyone to understand it because he knew. Just like Jesus could not um, perform a miracle in his hometown, he was the little carpenter's boy. And when he returned, they said, oh, it's the little carpenter's boy. You think you're going to be uh, doing any miracles here? I don't think so. <laughs> and of yeah, course, yeah. Be because of that group belief or whatever that vortex of energy was. Yeah, yeah no, nobody's a prophet in their own country. Yeah. <laughs> ah, voila, merci. Yeah, that's it. I, I wish I had known that quote. Um, so, <laughs> in the dream journal were dates, were coded numbers and times, and were lottery tickets with notes on them, circled numbers, names, and uh, I... I uh, it, it took me five years to understand what was going on with it. But what helped me understand it is there was something that happened in the United States that probably no people know about. But if you look it up online and you look up what's called the Three Kings Dream Almanac or the Three Wise Men Dream Book, uh, you'll find out that in most of the cities uh, in the north, these were uh, newsprint printed little booklets that were sold mostly in the black neighborhoods of, uh, we found them in Harlem. And these are a book that record all the winning lottery numbers that were won from someone who predicted it in a dream. Okay. Uh, so, uh, and when I went to talk to the bookies who work for the Italian mafia, who were all black, they, they told me that it came from Africa. They said the shamans of Africa would dream. And if they had a lost goat or a lost person or a something, they could, uh, they could dream where they were or dream the future of where they were going. And, and uh, that knowledge, I guess, came through, the black community that entered America and then, you know, entered the urban world. And then um, the lottery collided with them. And then they said, wait a minute, we already know how to go to the future. If we know what the winning number is tomorrow, we play it um, today and we'll win tomorrow. And they put one and two together and then they started to keep a record of it. Year after year, when someone had a dream and they won, they wrote down in these almanacs or dream manuals what they dreamt. And it was always something very odd. It was very Christian usually because these African-Americans were uh, Christian people. Um, and they maybe they dreamt, you know, Jesus came to them and wrote down on something, something, and then they played whatever that was. Or Jesus brought them a cat 
and then they played cat. But what happened over time is, uh, and this is a phenomena of dreaming. Did you ever look at a book when you were dreaming, Kevin? Did you ever try to read a book in a dream? You know, I, yeah, I have, I've had dreams where uh, I've been, seen a lot of text and like yeah. looking at a book and then there's this huge amount of text yeah. and I can see <laughs> clearly way more text than my physical eyes could possibly see in, in reality. Yeah, well, what, and, and okay, you got to combine this with the set stuff, the African shamans, the bookies, the psychics and everything. And what, well, if you look at a book or anything written in a dream from what we learned, and of course, this may be our subjective belief, belief projecting, is that every possible word and letter is sitting there in each place where a type could be. And it is changing based on what you believe. So if you're looking at a book and you want Shakespeare, bam, it's Shakespeare in a dream. And then if, you're, if you look into one word, that word will take you on a journey to wherever <laughs> you believe it will take you. So you look at the word dream, and then you think dreams, and then maybe you think whatever. Sadly, usually it ends up as a sexual encounter because you're, <laughs> you're a young guy. Uh, I don't know if you know about that experience in dreams, but there's usually a woman in front of you distracting you before you can get much farther. And then you got to go off with her and finish that situation, and then <laughs> you might get and back so, to So much for finding the winning lottery number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you got to be careful. That's, of course, you know. And I think that's something from Tibetan Buddhism, you know, as you're, you know, the Tibetan Book of the Dead kind of guides you past these... Uh, these illusions of temptation or fear or, you know, horror, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, I, yeah. That, that's the same stuff that the Quran warns against in the, the lower soul or the lower self. The nafs al yeah. is the, you know, the soul or, or the self has all of these kind of different levels. And at the lowest yeah. level, it's the prisoner of uh, a very, very strong, crude emotions and desires that are tied in with ego. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there it is. Yeah, it's ego. Yeah. It's, yeah. You got to be careful with that. Well, let me go back to Seth. So for people who don't understand, this is very interesting. The, the basic creo or the, um, you would say, the philosophy of Seth was, he, um, he, he said through Jane Roberts um, that you create your own reality based on what you concentrate on. And he tried to explain in that book that your thoughts are like a mathematical addition or equation if you focus on one thing over and over and over, that thought is searching for creativity. It's searching to uh, find life. Your thoughts are, uh, they're, they're, a, they're the thing that makes reality. It's kind of like the, the famous quote about faith. Faith is the substance of things unseen. So that really means that when you believe something is going to come or have faith that something is going to come, it is literally that physical thing in the thought that's in your head before it happens, you know? Um, I don't know if that made any sense or not. Uh, yeah, 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 kind of. I mean, I, I, like I said, I did read Jane Roberts, and I've read other people. Chopra, of course, is one of them. Yeah. Who said this kind of thing, and it kind of fits with the quantum mechanics. Exactly. Uh, yeah, teaching the that, right, experiment. That, yeah, the right, Reality experiment. exists as these wave functions that haven't yet turned into the particles that constitute material space-time, and it's only when something or someone is conscious of them or, or, you know, is aware of them, that awareness then causes the wave function to collapse into okay. a particle. And it's these elementary particles that make up reality. So we're actually uh, creating reality by collapsing the wave function is, is mm -hmm. one interpretation of quantum mechanics. Yeah, I could never really grasp that completely. Um, 
because I'm kind of a simple guy. But uh, yeah, Seth said that the world is a, is a, a mirror of your thoughts. And basically you get what you concentrate on. And then you have to put in the filter of your fears and whatever your cultural um, <laughs> upbringing is and the, the, what the people around you believe. But basically, in the end, it's, you know, pretty much 99% your experience. So no matter what happens, if you get in a head-on collision, you know, with a truck, you have driven your car into that truck. The truck has not hit you. You hit the truck. And the thing that was so empowering to me about this was I'm in New York swinging the bat trying to be an artist. You know, um, I don't know if you know what that's like, but, you know, you got your art, you bring it, you show it to somebody. No, no good. Go to the next person. No, no good. Rejection, rejection, rejection. You're swinging. And, and you're thinking, there's got to be some way to get an advantage. I got to somehow uh, pick up my game a bit. You know, <laughs> What is it can I do? I'm making great art. I think I am anyway. Uh, how do I convince these people? And then my friend Terry said to me, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with that. You just have to believe your art is good, be confident, and believe you'll have success, and then take action to, to, make sh to prepare yourself for the success. And, and the taking action thing was a big part of it. But getting back to the lottery thing, um, you want to get back to that? Uh, the, the, yeah, yeah, sure. So, so what, yeah, what, what, it's, yeah. it's, it's complex, but it, I'll try to uh, summarize it for you. So getting back to looking at, looking at um, uh, numbers and words in dreams. Lottery, lottery numbers are, of course, numbers. And if you were to, if I were to tell you, Kevin, I want you to, um, bring back a number from the dream tonight and tell me what it was tomorrow. You would, you might find, you probably very likely find the number, but to bring it back to this reality, there's a, there's a phenomenon, I've forgotten the name of it, but because your ego is attached to this dimension, Seth called it framework one, when you're in framework two, you must have amnesia when you return because you, your ego will not know which reality is the true one. And the reality here is where you can step in front of a car and get killed. And you must believe this is the real one, and the dream one is another place where things occur, they seem real, they are real, but you can't really die there. So when you return with a number, it's very hard to remember it. There's a natural amnesia that comes when you leave the dream world and enter our world. You would be lying in bed with your dream journal next to you in the table with the light, with a pen, we had pens with lights on them. Did you ever have one of those? No, a, I never a did. A pen with a light built in. You press a button, the light comes on. And so you got to be quick. You had the dream, and you got to wake up, and you got to write down that number. It's almost impossible to remember the number. It's like someone's flushing the toilet in your brain. It just goes, whoosh, it's gone. And, and of course, these African-American people, is that the proper way to, uh, uh, I don't want to offend anybody, but. No, I, I, th I think that's woke enough for this show anyway. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, that's a whole other topic. Um, so um, what these African-American people did, they said, wait a minute. It's very easy to remember a symbol or an animal or a flower or a person, but it's very hard to remember a number. They're almost impossible to bring yeah, back. Yeah, I, I would think. I mean, it's, it's hard yeah. enough to remember dreams in general. I yeah, have imagine. done that where you write down your yeah. dream when you wake up and keep a yeah. dream journal. That's hard enough, but a number? Wow. Yeah. So listen, if you, if you, you can go online and buy a book. It's called uh, 
the the history of lottery winners based on dreams. I forget the, the real name of the book. But if most of them had a religious dream and 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 Jesus or God or the you know whoever came to them and said, Go visit your friend Mike. He lives at seven four nine eight, you know, Spring Street. And then you wake up and you go, Oh, Jesus told me to go visit seven four nine eight Spring Street. That's the lottery number. And you play that number, and bam, they win. And sometimes they win big. Some of the big winners won with dreams. And that, that's what my friend Terry had in his dream book. He said, take a look at these newspaper clippings. Lottery won by dream. Wow, okay, how much? Oh, two million. Whew, that's a lot of money. Okay, and then he said, do you know about Edgar Casey?" And I said, no, I have no idea who that is. He said, well, here's a book. Read this book, Life of Edgar Casey. Do you know, the, do you know Edgar Casey? You know, he was. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I read, actually, yeah, I was turned on to Edgar Casey in high school by this wow. uh, crazy high school librarian, <laughs> Charlotte Smith, who was probably my main teacher in high school. Not that she ever told me much, but she collected all of these fascinating things in, in the high school library. So I was, you know, I read all of Vonnegut, you know, before oh, I was a right. junior. And, sure. and uh, yeah, Ed, she was big into Edgar Casey and Velikovsky and, and this kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. So you know, Edgar Casey was America's great psychic. I mean, he was a true psychic. And what my friend Terry said, he said, I've been, I've been around the world trying to find psychics. And the first thing I ask them is, do you know my name? And if they don't know your name, then they can't be real. And then the second thing he said, do, you have to, do I need to give you any money for this information you're going to give me? And he said, if they ever ask you for money, they're phony, of course, because <laughs> if you're a psychic, you can... You know, you don't need uh, you don't need money. You can just go find it wherever you want. It's you know, just go look for the empty briefcase left by the mafia in the, you know, in the swamp or whatever. So, uh, he told me the history of psychics, which is amazing. Whenever there's a true psychic or a true healer, and if you read about them, they they have to go into hiding. They never last long. There's been a couple little boys in Philippines who had the ability to heal, and you can read about them. I forget their names. They started to like heal their neighbors or whatever, you know, they could touch someone and the tumor would go away. And this is real. This is not, you know, you know, the fake psychics and these, you know, those guys that do the fake surgery with the blood squirting out. You know, I don't, I don't know if you know about that. These are the real kids. And then after a while, thousands of people are surrounding their house. And then what do you do then? You're, mm -hmm. you're all, you're all done. You got to close up and leave. You got to go into hiding. Yeah. So, well, I, I've often wondered, Stephen, whether there might not also be a situation like where there's some kind of monopoly on useful psychic powers that, uh, well, for instance, uh, Homer Van Meter has been in the show talking about his reincarnational experiences. And he, he says that there is a gr group apparently somewhat organized that has mastered the art of reincarnation and they're really nasty. They're kind of, you know, satanic druids who do human sacrifice and so on. And uh, it may be that there are nefarious types, Illuminati types, who have established a monopoly of certain kinds of psychic powers and don't want competition. And so those people may have, number one, promulgated the belief that there's no such thing as psychic powers, which helps them keep their monopoly. And then number two, when somebody comes along and starts developing strong psychic powers, they either have to co-opt them or put them out of business. Yeah, I, I always wondered... Um... 
you know, why why they didn't grab Jane Roberts and, and Robert Butts and do something with them. Yeah, no, I definitely believe that these people who, the elite who are running things, uh, completely know all about this. And of course, that's part of, you know, what they're using as one of their, their weapons or their uh, <laughs> their tools of of gaining more power and control. But of course, they wouldn't want you to know about it or they wouldn't promote it. They would probably... Like you said, decredit, you know, um, you know, defame it, decredit it, and, and uh, <laughs> you know, and probably create a lot of memes and things that would make you not believe that it's possible. Well, of course, they do. And yeah, people, they they ridicule people who believe. You, you, you know, you study the scientific literature on psi; it's obvious that it's been oh, yeah. proven very thoroughly documented. And then you look at the overall conversation, and it's just like the conversation on nine eleven or JFK or any of these topics where some powerful vested interest doesn't want you to know these things. So they smear yeah. people who, who talk, who tell the truth about them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's obvious. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the, uh, the, the world would be a, a much more abundant place if these, these things were um, to le leak out more. And yeah, I'm hoping I can maybe inspire a few people to kind of look into this. Um, yeah. And you, um, you can run into a wall with it too in your own beliefs because how how much can you believe that you can use a psychic power for your own benefit that's another thing that's very important in this thing um do you believe ethically that it is um good or proper or correct to use a psychic power to gain money okay and i i would say no and this is where i i find the idea of jesus appearing to somebody in a dream and giving them a winning lottery number to be highly dubious and personally i wouldn't want to have anything to do with that uh yeah it, isn't that we, we know that prophet muhammad peace upon him will never come to you in a dream and give you a winning lottery number because number one if you have a vivid dream of the prophet muhammad peace upon him it's a true dream at least that yeah. is the belief in islam and so it, it really is uh, uh you know that's that you really have encountered him and said and he obviously is not going to be giving you winning lottery numbers because the quran makes it very clear that gambling is haram uh and yeah. you don't really need the quran to know that gambling is haram uh, yeah. just you know, look at its results. People, they yeah, want to right. get rich quick with make, with without having to do any work or make any effort. Uh, it's just like usury, right? Usury oh, is, a, is a horrible crime and sin. And yeah. the basis of it is trying to grab a whole bunch for yourself without doing any yeah. work. And yeah. the same is true for, you know, trying to grab stuff and steal stuff with psychic uh, powers, which amounts to black magic. Uh, yeah, that's exactly. really the definition of black magic. Yeah. And all of the, the yeah. prophets and saints, they know that there's a difference between miracles and psychic uh, abilities and things that come from God. They're part of a of God blessing you with this thing that you're meant to do that's for the greater good versus your your lower ego wanting money or wanting mm -hmm. power or wanting mm -hmm. uh, a, a love object or something and then going and buying a bunch of you know goat's blood mixed with whatever from the local <laughs> witch and uh, doing a spell to try to get what you want. That's that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah, and that was the one thing that, that was so interesting about Terry, who was my mentor. You know, he had gone through a life of crime, and he knew that it was wrong, but it was so easy for him because he was he was a genius. He was he was a Mensa guy, and you know he and he was one of the guys that went to Maimonides' dream labs and worked with the random generators in the beginning. He was gifted. He um, he was you know he was a natural psychic. He was the type of person that if he walked up to you in a bar, you'd be sitting down for two hours with him, having the greatest time because he would find something in common between you that was so interesting and so funny that you wouldn't want to leave him. The guy who had like some strange magnetic person.
personality, but he was he was torn by this idea that you're talking about that you know you're you're maybe using witchcraft, but you know he would never he didn't believe in evil really or good and evil. He believed, um, and I'm not sure what I believe, but Seth teaches that um, there really is no uh, evil that comes from a source that is evil. It is of course a human a human creation, a human thing. Um, the universe is an explosion of love and giving, and there's no place for evil in it. Evil is the tiniest little speck of nothing that we play around with in our minds, and you know we create our own nightmares because it's fascinating to our egos to experience intense things. But of course, outside of this world, there's no evil. You know, once you die, you know you're never going to meet a demon or a devil. You know, unless you focus on one for some reason, or you want to meet one, or you want to create one. But, you know, you could search the ends of the universe and you'd never find anything that's going to harm you or, you know, try to <laughs> go against you because it goes against the law of the universe. And Seth and Terry called it value fulfillment. It's uh, and it, it comes. Do you know, Christian science philosophy at all or Thomas Troward. Do you ever hear of them? Well, I've, I've looked at Christian science, but uh, yeah. Thomas Troward, not so much. Yeah, well, he, I think he's the source of, of Christian science, but. Uh, basically, I think he's saying that um, the, the the universe and all things in it is an explosion of expression, that every thought is seeking to express itself. Um, and because of that uh, explosion of, of life and love and giving and searching, there's uh, the only real sin is uh, separ- the idea of separation or that when you encounter something that it's separate from you or uh, outside of you or not connected to you in some way. And so uh, the idea of selfishness, something that's haram, taking money for yourself, of course, is wrong because that's really not for you. It's for everyone. It's to be shared. You know, money is a kind of an idea that that means, you know, a mathematical addition of prosperity or abundance or whatever. But um, we were battling with this idea and we said, you know, the lottery thing is interesting, but if we if we can't get beyond the idea that it's wrong, we can't we can't continue with it. Well, we we decided that we, we didn't need to worry about it. We were just kind of doing an psychic experiment, mm-hmm. you know, just for fun because we met these bookies. They were doing it. They didn't care. They you know, money for them was fun. You know, let's make some more money. Let's you know, let's buy a car. Let's go to Atlantic City. Let's do whatever. You know, they were you know they were simple guys, but they had they all had a drill ability to dream. Well, getting back to the story with Terry and the dream book and the symbols and the numbers, and I know you may think this is haram, but, you know, and, and I don't want to offend you or anything. No, that, that, that's uh, okay. I can take it. I'm, I'm living in the United States of America, so if a Muslim <laughs> okay. can stand to live in the United States of America, I mean, you put up with a lot. Yeah, 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 Kevin, I'm sorry. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's got to be awful. Um, <laughs> yeah, you must be numb. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I know all about, yeah, I'll, the the abuse of the Muslim people, uh, and I'm very sorry. And I may have contributed to that through paying my taxes, and I'm you know I shouldn't have maybe. Well, yeah, that's, so. that's okay. You don't get all woke on me here, Stephen. <laughs> I'm actually you know having a pretty good life waging the truth jihad in America, so I can't really complain. It's, yeah, you are. That's what I was meant to do. You know? Yeah, Kevin, I you know, I really believe that there must be some sort of angel protecting you. I mean, not if you, I don't know about angels, but you know it's something about you. I, you know, I've listened to you for. I don't know, you know, I don't know, 15 years now, you know, I met you two years ago, um, briefly at a 9-11 thing. And uh, yeah, there's something very special about you. Um, 
I, I got started with um, Eustace Mullins and Daryl Bradford Smith from I Am the Witness when it comes to those topics. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you know yeah. Daryl Bradford Smith? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. He's my hero, like you. Incredible guy. Too bad he got knocked off the internet. Anyway, yeah, we're, back, we're back to the. Yeah. Okay. So back back, back <laughs> to the. Uh, so you guys decided you were going to uh, do something haram, like play, do some experiments with uh, with dreaming up uh, lottery numbers, which I'm not going to contend you for. That's. <laughs> yeah. Sure. No, we, we we had fun. It was it was great. Um, uh, so um, the African Americans who have the Three Wise Men Dream Book um, had figured out kind of what Seth had figured out. Seth, Seth said in dreams that, you know, your dreams are symbolic. You have your own personal dream symbols that you have developed that mean other things. Like if you dream, what does a rhinoceros mean to you, Kevin? Does it, what does that mean to you? A rhinoceros? Uh, a rhinoceros? Yeah. Is that uh, an emotional response or is it a, is it a, is it good? Is it bad? Is it? Yeah. I, I would think of, of it as being a uh, kind of uh, like bullheaded and yeah. uh, kind of, you know, pointy nosed view, you know, some a narrow frame of reference, a narrow, aggressive and egotistical kind of frame of reference. Um, yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That's your, but you could, you know, you could ask someone, you know, somewhere else and they would say, Oh, I love, you know, <laughs> I love rhinos and they have the opposite beliefs. Very funny. Um, yeah. So, what Terry learned, my friend Terry, who was the, the lottery guy, uh, and the African-Americans, um, they had learned that forget about trying to dream a, a, a number. All you have to do is remember the different symbols, the trees, the horses, the cows, the elephants, whatever, whatever it is. Because <laughs> believe it or not, at the same time, we're becoming hypnotists because we knew, we knew that hypnotism was a was a was a way to uh, accelerate uh, <laughs> uh, the human mental abilities. Uh, you know, it was kind of early days of um, oh, what's uh, what's his name the the big um, uh, uh, the big uh, self help guy Tony Robbins. You know, it's the early days of Tony Robbins and self help and things like that. So. Uh, uh, I'm getting a little off track, but what happened is, what we found out is, if you take any book, Kevin, and you took that book and you said to yourself, I now have the ability to comprehend everything in this book uh, on a subconscious level, and because I believe my subconscious is a supercomputer that records every single microscopic molecule and atom of everything I'm observing and is recording it in the in the great mind of things which is God and I believe I have the ability to re re take that out through accessing my subconscious um, uh, you could flip through a book very quickly and look at every page subconsciously in in two seconds by going through the pages very quickly with your thumb you know like click 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 Sounds like the ultimate in speed reading yeah yeah well that's that's what the kind of the new hypnosis is. If you were to buy a hypnotic um, uh, abundance CD from some hypnotic company, company that makes them, what they do now is they take a hypnotic suggestion, which is I feel happy, I am abundant, or I am energetic, or whatever it is, and they take that suggestion, they compress the sound of it down into a tiny little microsecond, and then they repeat it millions of times behind music. So it's zipping going, 
And but it's a suggestion that your subconscious is she cried. She's a, the subconscious is picking it up. Um, and, and the more you repeat it, uh, the the greater the impression into the subconscious would be. So what Terry figured out and all these guys that played around with this wise man book was you took the three kings wise man book that had lottery number matched with a symbol over the years. So uh, let's say 1980, someone dreamt, an elephant, uh, dreamt a camel. And then the number that came in was 8617. They recorded that. And then if it happened again, it got recorded in the book. And then if it happened three times, camel and that number, camel and that number, camel and that number, um, a suspicion would grow that there's a connection between that number and that ca symbol camel. So then, believe it or not, um, these people believe that if two or more people at the same time in the same night dreamt camel, there's a very high chance that that number is going to come out that's been recorded in that book before over and over and over. Right. Do you understand? You're yeah, creating that, although that's that's hard to believe that it, it would be that tight of a connection between the, uh, the camel yeah, and that particular number. Yeah. If you, if you thought about it too much, you would talk yourself out. <laughs> I'm already talking myself out of it. <laughs> well, it's all right. Yeah, you, 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 know, you don't have to listen anymore. Uh, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, so the, <laughs> so that's what was going on. So, we were we were taught by Terry and his buddies. He said, "You sit down quietly. You take the dream book and you flip through it, and you tell your subconscious to record every symbol: the camel, the dog, the salt lick, the tree, you know, the leaf, the everything." And it's connected to a lottery number that won 20 or 30 times since, you know, 1800 when they started recording all these things. These books are really old. They're not new. This has been going on a long time. And you'll find it all around the world, too. If you go to, I found it in Mexico. Same thing happening. Very so, so How does the publisher of the book get hold of the uh, information from the people who have the dream and you then know, get the number? Yeah, there's hoax books, of course. There's hoax books. There's fake ones. Most of them are fake. But... The only way we found the real one was to go to these bookies. And, and this is what happened. Uh, Terry and his friends and his father, who was General Patton's, one of General Patton's tank commanders, um, they'd all figured this out, and they all recorded their dreams every night, and these bookies all called each other in the morning, and they said, what did you dream? And they would say, oh. I dreamt about a monkey and a horse and a whatever, and I dreamt this and I dreamt that. That was the early days of when you could do a group call. I don't know how you did it. You could dial a number in New York and you could get two or three, two or more people on the phone. And then they would they would match their dreams. And if they had two or more people who dreamt the same th same thing, they knew to play that number that was associated with it in the in the in the uh, Three Wise Men Dream Book. Is this kind of making sense? Kind of. So, yeah. Now, how, how many digits are these numbers? Okay, well, in New York, there's three-number game, there's four-number game, five-number game, six-number game, and the higher you go with the numbers, the greater the winnings, and the lower your odds of winning because of the, you know, the, the law of um, number permutations and things like that. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, these guys are at the level of the three-number game because, uh -huh. <laughs> because, believe it or not, it is very hard to believe that you can win a lottery number from your dreams. Go ask somebody you know, hey, can you do that? They're going to say, no, you're crazy. Forget about it. Go home. Probably half my listeners have already said that and turned us yeah, off. Yeah, you know, it's just crazy. I, okay, this is just my experience. So <laughs> these guys, and, and I said, okay, this is interesting. 
I'm an artist. I'm trying to kind of, you know, get my paintings out there, make some money and survive in New York City, pay my rent and the utilities and take a girl out to dinner once in a while. Uh, and they're saying, well, just wait a minute, Steve. You know, we don't worry. This applies to you, but just hang in there. You know, this is a 10 year thing, Kevin. This is 10 years of my life. I played around with these guys. I did my paintings and stuff, but every, every day, every night, Terry's in my house at night sitting there going, Hey, what do you want to read tonight? I said, okay, let's, let's do this. And he would read to me. It was amazing. So then here's what started happening. I got in on these phone calls because they wanted to know what I was dreaming because I became a believer. I'm a believer. A believer, you know what I mean? Like you believe in what you believe, and everyone around you believes that, and that's a very powerful thing. You can create things, you know. Like Jesus said, if more than one of you come together in my name, you can do whatever. I forgot the exact quote. There's a there's a phenomenon of people believing in something together, you know. And I believe that's what's happening with the media that you talked about in the introduction. Yeah. That you know, of course, if you can get a certain number to, of people to believe things, I'm not sure what you call that. Uh, you can you know tip tip beliefs and reality into your direction, you know, which is, which is what's going on. You know, we're living in the fakest, mm-hmm. <laughs> the fakest it's ever been. It's the ultimate in fakeness. You know, it's, 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 it's beca- gone beyond comic book into a one dimensional, you know, lie beyond anything you can imagine. They've got a lot of people believing the fake stuff, but then there's this nucleus of people that sees through it and doubts yeah. it and so on. So it, it's a very strange and, and chaotic kind of uh, media landscape. Yeah, well, you you had a guest on a while back that talked about a certain percentage of people believing in a new paradigm that can tip the the, the majority back to reality. Like, you know, you know, E. Michael Jones believes that there's there's an awakening going, you know, logic is coming back. Logos is coming back. And because the tipping point is coming, you know, you can't fool everybody all the time. Uh, eventually the king has no clothes and everybody knows, you know, um, but I don't know how that is. You know, you're, it's like those people who have, um, blind hysteria. They, I guess there is a phenomena where I think one of your guests talked about it. Oh yeah. What's his name? Uh, that, that other guy who talks about metaphysics, who had the healing experience with the blind woman, she was having blind hysteria. Yeah. I forget his name. Uh, very interesting guest. He, he told a woman that had blind hysteria that she could see and she saw Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, his that? name is Levy, I think. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Right. Levy. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. But anyway, so I, I kind of believe these guys were 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 onto something with the dream thing. But I was more interested in the art thing, you know, because you know what, you know, because I'm playing a lottery number. I'm losing. I'm losing. I'm losing. I said I don't have money to blow on this. They said, Steve, just just hang around, just for fun, you know. If we tell you to play something, play it. Otherwise, you know, don't worry about it. You know, just a few bucks, you know. So <laughs> I started to hang around with these guys. I drive around in New York in their cars. They bring me back to my loft. I'd go painting. And I started to notice they never worked. They never did anything. They would go in in the morning, write down a bunch of numbers, take a bunch of phone calls, and then they go party around the city. They hit the bars. They go shopping, credit cards. I go, what do you, what's going on with you? Who are these guys? I knew they were mafia. I knew they had money. I don't know. I knew they stole it. But I, I couldn't figure it out. And I would ask Terry. I said, Terry, what's going on? And he would have a roll of money in his pocket. You know how the mafia carries their money. They roll up the $100 bills into a big circle, and they put a rubber band around it. And it sits in their pocket. And they just peel off the hundreds. And these guys would never let me pay for anything. Every meal, anything I wanted. You need shoes, Steve? Here you go, $200. Go over there. Get some shoes. 
and I didn't really want to take their money because I was I was kind of afraid of them. But this guy Terry was the sweetest man you could ever imagine. Like someone very special. I'm going to cry because it's such an amazing experience. So I realized these guys never worked. I said, Terry, you have a social security number? He said, no, we don't have social security numbers. I said, do you ever pay taxes? No. Did, 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 did you ever have a job? Well, once I worked for the morgue, you know, I said, what do you mean? And he said, oh, that's a whole other story. That's a mafia thing. I can tell you how to make money with the morgue. <laughs> Very strange things happened. So these guys must have been dreaming up some pretty good lottery numbers. Yeah, they were nailing it. They were nailing it, Kevin. Okay, and I said, all right, Terry, I'm leaving. It's getting cold in New York. I'm going to Mexico. I, I, I saved my money, and I'm going to go paint on the beach in Mexico. I have a friend who has a house down there. So he said, all right, great. He said, I'll be down by Christmas. I said, oh, really? Okay. That's a big deal because you got your daughter and you got your father and your mother. And okay, how are you going to do that? Um, you know, and he said, don't worry. <laughs> so this is my experience with him. How much time do we have left? Jeez, uh, two so minutes long. exactly. Oh, this is. Well, anyway, let me let me finish. Okay. It got to the point where he and I were, were starting to write down all our beliefs about this every single night. And we said, it's getting closer. We're going to nail this. And then we said. It looks like we got it. We would write down our beliefs every night and say, hey, do you have any doubts that this is going to happen? Tell me for real. What do you believe? I said, no, this is easy. I can see you guys are doing it. I, I can do it too. And they said, yeah, okay. So that night, we all dreamt elephants. All of us. The whole elephants. I was riding an elephant, playing in the water with an elephant. <laughs> and then you're not going to believe this. And this is the haram thing, Kevin. This is the haram thing. Listen. We all dreamt for a four, six, two. We looked it up in the book. Elephant four, six, two. What kind of a weird number? All even numbers. They all kind of add up to each other. This is it. We nailed it. We went around telling our girlfriends all day. They knew what we were doing. We got it. We're finally here. Like, you know, eight years later, we finally got it. We got it. We got it. Here we go. Guess what happened, Kevin? Um, Guess what happened that night? I can't imagine. We didn't play the number. Really? We all forgot. But we were so excited. <laughs> oh, we were no. so excited that we had the number. Guess what came out? Don't tell so, me. 862 elephant? 462 four, straight. 462 elephant. Every $10 dollars you put on is $10,000. And we were ready. We all had a $100 bill to put down. Well, may Allah forgive you for not playing. I mean, may Allah <laughs> be praised for saving you from playing it. <laughs> so then... Uh, it would be another interview, but then I, it was three years before I even played that again. But I, I, I started to use my beliefs and I started to use these ideas to improve my art career. And that's how I ended up working for the president of Panama. I started shooting for bigger things, you know, and it's, it's pretty basic. Uh, all I did was, you know, instead of trying to approach a gallery owner who maybe gives me a show and I sell a few paintings, why not go approach a, approach a president and ask him if he wants to hire me? And then I got hired by, a, I painted. Well, you know, but Biden could use some PR <laughs> and he needs a, a, a an enlivening portrait because he, he looks really pretty cadaverous. Uh, but, yeah. you know, once you put your vibrant colors on him, he might look a lot better. <laughs> well, you know, Steve yeah. Bennett, I think we're at the end of the show, but it's oh, been a lot yeah. of fun and yeah, quite, uh, unusual. <laughs> That's yeah. great stuff. Wonderful Thank you. Yeah. Great to talk to you, Kevin. God yeah, bless likewise. you, brother. Okay. Salam alaikum. Uh, take care. See you next time.
Right. Stephen Bennett, the portrait painter, that's the name of his website. You can find the links by going to truthjihad.com, clicking on the radio show link. Barrett here, Truth Jihad Radio, broadcasting on revolution.radio. See you next time.